I don't know where to tell you where to turn tonight, except maybe turn to the book of Revelation. I think the last time I taught through it, it took us almost a year. So we're going to dovetail, because we just finished the book of Ezekiel, and we're going to continue because the next book will be Daniel. And like I've often said, you really can't understand the book of Revelation unless you have a good understanding of the book of Daniel. The timing with everything that's going on right now always amazes me. Uh, But where I'd like to start with an introduction tonight, we're not going to do chapter 1. It's enough if we get through just the introduction. And probably the biggest thing that I want to um, draw to your attention is that both mainline Protestantism, I grew up at a Protestant church, and mainline Roman Catholicism do not take a literal view of the book we're about to study. So the question comes up, why? Why is this book allegorized, saying it's all been fulfilled in 70 AD with the destruction of Jerusalem, the different viewpoints? I'll go through each one of those viewpoints tonight. Uh, But the question is, why? Probably one of the best books out there, I've had it for years, is Hal Lindsey's book, uh, The Road to Holocaust, subtitled Unchecked Dominion Theology, Movement Among Christians Could Lead Us and Israel to Disaster. And I'm just going to read a little bit of the introduction. And what he does is, well, let me set the stage here a little bit. We just studied in Ezekiel that Jeremiah and Ezekiel's message for their whole ministry was you guys are going to be in captivity for, for 70 years. And after that period of time, you're going to come back. Isaiah 11 says that it's going to happen twice, that they would be out of the land. Of course, the second time was in 70 AD. We talked about that on Palm Sunday, where I always thought it was just the (laughs) 10th Roman legion, but it was the 5th, the 12th, the 10th, and the 15th came and destroyed Jerusalem, uh, destroyed the temple. We call it the dysphoria, and they were dispersed into all the world in their basically was no Israel until, you know, there was the Zionist movement in the early 1900s. Uh, There was a Bellflower Declaration. And then that prophecy where Israel actually became a nation in one day, which is a prophecy, can a nation become a nation in one day? That actually happened. So what do you do if you're a Bible teacher And you're teaching through the Bible and you come to the book of Revelation and you read that it's primarily about Israel, but the problem is there is no Israel. Just think about it. From 70 AD until 1948, it simply wasn't there. So what do you do with it? How do you teach it? How do you explain it? Um, I found nobody better. um, I'm just going to quote what happened and how it happened. It goes back to... um, a man named Origen, I'm, I'm simply quoting from Hal Lindsey's book, which is a must-read. It's uh, called The Roots of Holocaust. And I quote Hal here where he says, the most, res- uh, the most responsible for changing the way the church interprets prophecy was Origen. Uh, he was a leading teacher of theology and philosophy at the influential school of Alexander, Egypt, at the beginning of the third century. So there's already, here's 300 years that have have passed. 
Uh, church historian A.H. Newman reports, Origen was the first to reduce the allegorical method of interpretation to a system. And his method of uh, scriptural interpretation was soon adopted throughout the church and prevailed throughout the Middle Ages. And in, in this, Origen's influence was bad and only bad. Now, that doesn't mean that Origen was bad. Uh, he goes on to quote, It must be noted that Origen was not an evil man. In fact, he was a scholarly Christian philosopher. He had a courageous faith. He was humble. He lived simply. But because of his desire to harmonize the New Testament with the philosophies of Plato, he powerfully introduced and taught and spread the allegorical method of interpreting the scriptures, and that particularly in the area of Bible prophecy. Now, from this seemingly harmless fact of Christian history evolved a system of prophetic interpretation that created the atmosphere in which Christians and anti-Semitism took root and spread. I'm going to fast forward to 354 to a man um, whose name is Augustine. He's well-known in church history as one of the early church fathers. By the time Augustine, the famous bishop of Hippo, Origen's system of interpretation dominated the Christian scene. But it was Augustine who systemized the allegorical-based teaching into a cohesive a theology that would dominate the church for the next thousand years. Even the reformers continued to hold most of his views, including, and this is important, his allegorical base on unrefined uh, eschatology. Now, eschatology is one of those Christian words. It means a study of last day things. The Roman Catholic Church, using origin system of interpretation and Augustine's theology soon applied and instituted the uh, the teaching that they were the inheritors of Israel's promises, that they were the inheritors of the kingdom's promise to Israel, and therefore must take ultimate authority over the political power of this world. At one point during the Middle Ages, the church held authority virtually over all the rulers of Europe, Uh, History witnesses that this was one of the most oppressive periods of Christianity, both towards the Christian and those outside the church. And I could go on and on, but if you've never, this is out of print, whenever I find one, um, I used to try to get it. And um, uh, I personally know that it's true in the denomination that I grew up with. Um, We call it um, dominionism or kingdom now theology. And that's basically that what was promised to Israel, we've inherited. Now, all the way up, there was only really a small handful of people um, that believed that the Bible was inerrant, all the way from Genesis to the book of Revelation. And if it said that Israel was going to be there and God was going to pick 144,000 Jews from the from the twelve tribes, and they literally believe that. But again, remember, there is no Israel. 
So the cults begin to spring up. The children of God thought they were the 144,000. Jehovah Witnessing, they were the 144,000. And different cultic groups would come up with their own little twist and turn on, on what this meant. So what happened basically is man leaned on their own understanding and said, well, obviously there's no Israel, so it must be applying to the church. Um, the book is symbolic, and I'll talk a little bit about that. But the reason Daniel is so important, and we dovetail it with Revelation, if it's not explained, the allegories and, and where it's spiritualized, um, if it's not explained in the book of Revelation itself, it is in the book of Daniel. And they do dovetail together. Um, this blows my mind because this, this was written, this, the most read book during the 70s was The Late Great Planet Earth. Who read it? Quite a few of you. Um, uh, Hal Lindsey blows my mind because this was written November 1st, 1969. And these are things that he said, and here it is 47 years later. He's writing these things in 1969. The list I'm about to read to you was non-existent. But because he knows the word of God, he says this is what you can look for. So it's been 47 years since he wrote The Late Great Planet Earth. Uh, was published and many believed it could happen shortly. And now here we are 47 years later. Uh, this is what he predicted but let's give credit where credit is due. There's nothing more than understanding the word of God, understanding that this is what the scripture says is going to take place in the last days, what we call eschatology. All right, bear with me as I read the list. You'll find it most interesting. Major denominations would be captured by those who reject the essential truth of the Bible and the deity of Jesus Christ. Denominations would merge together and ecumenicalism would become more prevalent as the historic truths of the Bible are discarded. Ministers losing their power along with their link to the supernatural would resort to social action gimmicks, programs. Followers, especially young people, would flee the mainline churches in droves. Bible-believing Christians would openly uh, be persecuted for their beliefs, sometimes even by so-called ministers of the, of the gospel. He says, we would begin to see more of a movement towards a one-world religion. Jerusalem would become the focal point of the world, world's concern as a Muslim and Israelis would begin to fight in earnest over who owns it. We would see movements towards the rebuilding of the temple in Jerusalem by the Jews. The Mideast would become a constant source of tension in the world. Now, I want to stop after every one of these and comment on them. But, you know, before we came to the study tonight, um, here's a guy that sat behind closed doors with Putin, basically coming out and said, well, this is the worst it's been since the Cold War. And uh, they had a U.N. resolution 
to deal with Assad, and uh, uh, Russia vetoed, vetoed it. So talk about tension in the Middle East and, and, and that there. Mind you, this is 1969. Everything that I've just read hadn't happened yet. I'm only halfway through my list. All right. Um, Israel would become more prosperous. Wow. I had no idea. With the uh, uh, natural gas discoveries off, off the shores of Haifa, oil on the Golan Heights. Um, the Muslim-Israeli conflict would become a constant world-threatening crisis. The U.S. would begin to lose its preeminent leadership position in the world. Europe would begin emerging as the most powerful economic force in the world. We would see Europe move towards unification. Remember, none of that had happened yet, the U.N. Uh, I mean, the uh, European Union. Um, the communist takeover of the world would be stopped abruptly. How insightful. The political power and influence of the Pope would increase. People all over the world would be looking and yearning for a leader to bring them together. The worst famines the world had ever known would break out. Moral and social chaos in America would tear apart the fabric of our society and begin to destroy our economy. Drug addiction and abuse would escalate as problems in America and throughout the Western world. Crimes, riots, unemployment, poverty, illiteracy, mental illness, and other social, <clears throat> social problems would increase at an unprecedented rate. There would be more interest in an acceptance of Eastern religion, astrology, and witchcraft. This was all written in 1969, and he nailed every single one of them. None of those things had happened. And we look back and we go, how did he know? Well, he knew because the scriptures lay out all of these things. And, um, you know, one of the, the, the driving forces of the Jesus movement, and it had a lot to do with, with, with um, Hal Lindsey's book, was the soon return of the Lord and um, the rapture of the church. And that is where, well, the next thing I think is going to happen is uh, Isaiah chapter 17, and we'll actually, we'll, we'll get into that as we get into our introduction to the book tonight. So for starters, why isn't it taught today? Um, to be frank with you and honest, many pastors are afraid of the book of Revelation. Uh, they feel inadequate uh, to teach it. Um, the scriptures say, my people perish for lack of knowledge of my word. And I think if, if there's one book in the Bible that needs to be known right now, it's the book of Revelation. Good place for an amen. And who but the church has the ability, like I talked about on, on Sunday, you know, there are consequences. Because the ones who should have known, the religious leaders in Jesus' day, they should have known because they should have been students of Daniel, just as Daniel was a student of Jeremiah. Daniel got it. Well, he got it, why? Because he understood the book of Jeremiah. Well, they should have been looking, they should have been waiting, and the Lord actually says the consequences, because you didn't know the time, 
or, the, or this is your day, there's going to be consequences. Well, I would say the same thing today. I would say unless you're aware of why the focus of the world on nightly news, they don't report it half as much as they should, is what's taking place. Now we have an escalation between uh, um, uh, Russia and the U.S., and it's, it's escalating. It's just um, exponentially happening. And I got to tell you that, uh, you know, he's spot on with every, everything that we just read here. All right, a little bit of background to the book itself. It was the last book written. Um, there are 66 books in the Bible. This is book 66. It claims, if you're looking at chapter 1, Verse 3, it claims to be different. I'll point out two things that are different about the book of Revelation. Um, First of all, it says, I'm special. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy and keep those things which are written for the time is near. It says, um, if you study the book of Revelation, you will be blessed. And once we get through the promises... Uh, of chapter 2 and 3, you'll understand why. But then it ends with a warning. He says, anybody that adds to or takes away from any of the words that are written in this book, God will add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. It sounds to me like the Lord is pretty serious about the book of Revelation. And... um, He just lays out everything, what Hal Lindsey wrote, what we've seen take place in the last 47 years. That's that's when I got saved in 1970. So I've watched this unfold, but not like it is today. It's happening so quick and so fast that, um, you know, I hope Easter doesn't come this year. What can I say? (laughs) It was written in 96 A.D., by John, there are different um, views that people have. There are four basic ones, and I'll give them out to you. A one view is that all prophecies in Revelation were already fulfilled in the struggle between the Jews and the early Christians and the conquest of uh, Greece and Rome. A lot of people like the Preterists believe that all of this um, after 70 AD, there was no more. Then you have the historical view. The historical view is that prophecy is being progressively fulfilled by events in history since the days of the apostles. Uh, there are those who allegorize it and spiritualize it. That's the view. This belief that the book speaks of spiritual conflict between Jesus and the devil, or between good and evil. In other words, it's just a, a book that's written that's describing that there's a spiritual war going on, and um, that's all symbolism, and it really isn't meant to be taken literally, but allegorically. Now, the, the view that we hold to, some call it the, the futuristic view, is that it's the literal meaning of the book. And unless there's a clear reference to symbolism uh, that are used in Revelation, 
Um, this view states that we are now in chapters 1 through 3. So we are living right now in the first three chapters of the book of Revelation. Now when we actually start that, um, when I do an in-depth study on it, I go through every, every one of the churches and do an in-depth study on the church. It takes us seven weeks to get through um, the first couple chapters. <clears throat> that won't be the case here because I'm going to try to harmonize the book of Daniel, which only has 12 chapters, and then we have the book of uh, Revelation that has 22. So bottom line for us is that we take a very literal view of the book of Revelation. There is symbolism. Let me, let me just, oh, just so you have something to do, <laughs> turn to chapter 12. And I'll give you a perfect example of, of, of a symbol that's, not, that's actually explained. First of all, it's symbolic, but then it explains the symbolism. But then there's times that it's not, and unless you look, know the book of Daniel, you're not going to get it. So to me, Revelation chapter 12 is an overview of the war that's been going on since Lucifer was sown out of heaven with one-third of the angels. That's how far back Revelation 12 goes. It goes into the future where the Lord protects a remnant of the Jews in a place called Petra, Selah, Basra, all meaning the same thing. That's at the end of this chapter. And then it has the warfare that takes place in heaven. But let me just give you an example of, of, um, of uh, a symbol or an allegory. Verse 3 says, I saw another sign appear in heaven. Behold, a great fiery red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems on his head. He drew with him a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And they stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as he was born. Well, what's the fiery red dragon? That's symbolism. Well, all you have to do is go down in the same chapter in verse 9. Um, so the great dragon was cast out. The serpent of old called the devil and Satan who deceives the whole world he was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Now, there's an example of symbolism. We have a fiery red dragon. If we didn't have verse 9, it's up to speculation. But here it clearly lays out that the Lord is choosing to identify him as a fiery red dragon who persuaded uh, one-third of the angels. Um, some of them are incarcerated, according to Jude, and they won't be released until the day of judgment. And that's a whole Bible study within itself. And we'll tackle that when we get to this chapter more, more fully. Some of them, one third of Jesus' ministry was involved with casting demons out of people. So some of them, um, demons never die. The Bible says that hell was created for the devil and his angels. They're eternal. You're eternal. You know, tomorrow we'll be having a funeral here, and it's going to be one of the one of the main points that I want to make to people that that um, we're all terminal. Sounds like a bad place for an amen, but a good one at the same time. <laughs> Isn't it good to know that you're terminal? 
<laughs> a sister came up to the office today, and she was kind of walking up slowly. And she said, I wish I had my new body. And I said, I wish I had mine too. And, um, you know, like the Bible says, in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed. Because this old tent wears out. And um, so there is symbolism. But a lot of people, uh, because they don't teach all of the scriptures, we just got through Jeremiah and Ezekiel, right? Well, now that we're going into Daniel, and we read in Daniel chapter 9, verse 1, he says, I understood, I, Daniel, understood that 70 years are determined upon Israel. Well, how did he understand? He read the book of Jeremiah. So as we read the book of Revelation, we will have an understanding of current events in great detail, how they're going to unfold. So those are the different views that, as I, if, if we just say churches across the line, these are the different uh, viewpoints that they have. Of course, the most dangerous is dominion theology, and that is that uh, God is through with Israel, and um, all the promises that were made to them have, have been in, inherited by the church. Let's talk a little bit about the author. John, um, if you read Fox's Book of Martyrs concerning John, all, all of the disciples died as martyrs. And, um, you know, to me, this, this is a slam-dunk case. When it comes down to your life, this is what Satan said to the Lord concerning Job. He says, Job will cave. Just um, let me at him. He said, skin for skin. A man will do anything to save his own neck. And as he's been observing mankind throughout generation after generation, he says, put, put affliction. Let me at him. And he'll deny it, and he'll curse you to your face. He says, well, I'll let you go so far with this one, Satan. You can touch him, but you can't kill him. So God, in his sovereignty, allowed suffering on an unprecedented level with this guy. I mean, his best friends ragged on him for most of the book of Job. Most of the 40 chap- 48 chapters, whatever, they're there. They're not comforting him. You know, fess up, Job, what would you do wrong? If just confess your sin, everything's going to be fine. Well, guys, every one of the disciples, it was all you have to do is say that you're not a Christian and everything, everything is fine. I don't know who told me this story. Um, it's just one that's sticking in the back of my head. It was before the wall came down and Christians were having Bible studies in their basements. Um, because of the Iron Wall and communism. And um, all of a sudden, a guy bursts in with a machine gun during one of these uh, Bible studies and said, um, all right, everybody who's a Christian, um, stand up. And everybody who doesn't, you're dead. We wanna, I want to know who the Christians are here so that we can get, we can get rid of them. And there was, a, there was a handful, let's say there was a dozen people there. And let's say that, that five walked out. And the guy with the machine gun said, well, now that the hypocrites are gone, let's have a Bible study. 
<laughs> What's your point, Dwight? Every one of the disciples, when it came down right down to it, they said, oh, I give up. I'm really not, I don't really, I don't believe all that stuff. Let me live. No. Paul said, oh, death, where's your sting? Where's, where's your victory, death? Oh, death, where's I sting? Oh, grave, where's your victory? You know, I had no fear of it. He said, bring it on. And um, it was true with every single one of the disciples, except for John. Now, when you read Fox's Book of Martyrs, we discover that they actually did try to kill John and tried to boil him in oil. And he wouldn't cook. That's what I like to say. He wouldn't cook. And the Lord spared him. They said, we can't kill this guy. So they exiled him uh, to the island of Patmos. It was always been on my bucket list. I want to see Patmos. And one year the Lord let us uh, do a, um, a tour of the seven churches. We only saw four of them. And a ride out to, out to Patmos. Of course, they have this little chamber. They said, now this is where John actually slept. And I'm going, seaside, seaside, seaside. <laughs> but Patmos is pretty much like, it's a beautiful Greek island in the Mediterranean, in the Aegean. And um, the Lord took him there. And concerning John, you know, he was, there was James and John. His brother James was, um, was martyred. Um, of course, he was one of the fishermen that Jesus called. John was in one of the three of the inner circle, Peter, James, and John. Um, I have a lot of questions why the Lord picked these three guys out. They were privy. They were on the Mount of Transfiguration. They were in the Garden of Gethsemane. And... Um, they were called sons of thunder. They, they had a temper. They had a short wick uh, that mellowed over the years, both with, with uh, Paul, uh, but also with John. Whenever John writes about himself, he just calls himself that disciple whom Jesus loved. That's how he referred to himself. He wrote the Gospel of John, and he wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and now he is imprisoned on the island of Patmos. This is where in chapter 1, when we get to it, the Lord appears to him, and he's commissioned at this time to write seven letters to the seven churches. The key, and I'll, I'll probably say this every, every Bible study, is in Revelation 1, verse 19. So let's turn there. There's a key to the book to understand the book. The key to the book of Revelation is Jesus talking to him. Let's read verse 17. It's also good. I want to go back to 60, but I better I go, I'd be going back all the way to verse 1 if I do that. John says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead, but he laid his right hand and he said to me, do not be afraid, I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I'm alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and death. Then he says to John, John, write the things which you have seen. Well, the Lord just appeared to him. So what has, has he seen so far? He has a vision of the Lord who um, 
describes his clothing, a gold band around his waist. His head was hair white like wool. His eyes were like flame of fire. His feet was like fine brass. His voice was like the sound of many waters. And in his right hand were seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. And his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. So when he says, John, write the things that you have seen, what did he see? Just what we just read. So um, the key to the book here is chapter 1 is fulfilled in the things that he has seen. And then he says, and write the things which are. Now that's in the present tense. And so for the next two chapters, you're going to notice that there's red letters all the way up to the end of chapter 3. And then one verse in 5, and then one verse in um, in, in 14. So present tense, write the things which are. Now that's going to be the second division of the book of Revelation. There's three major divisions. The second one is the church age. Now, remember, um, since 70 AD, um, we had had God doing work among the Gentiles, Cornelius being the first, but remember, all the early church were all Jews. I mean, the people blew their minds that a Gentile could get saved. When Cornelius got saved, what's... How can a Gentile get saved as a dog? And yet, now for the last 2,000 years, what the Lord has been doing is um, gathering a bride to himself. I think one of the most beautiful, when we say for every New Testament teaching, there's an Old Testament picture. I think one of the most, if we're the bride of Christ, we want to be those five wise virgins with our oil lamps trimmed. Right, that basically meant they had oil in their lamp, or that I think it means that they were born again, spirit-filled Christians, and they knew what to look for. They were watching. That's who we want to be. So we're the bride of Christ. But the beautiful picture of that is Isaac, and um, Abraham sending an unnamed servant who isn't named in the story to go to a foreign land and get a bride for Isaac. And so he does, and uh, returns with Rebecca. Said she was very, very beautiful. She'd never seen her before. And we have, in the story, we have Isaac going out to meet her. And she's never seen him. She's only heard stories. And she knows that dad is loaded. (laughs) because <laughs> he comes with all these camels and riches and gifts and everything. And um, we have this beautiful picture uh, taking place, and it's the church. And so in the second part of the division of the book of Revelation is the church age. It has a beginning at Pentecost, and it will have an end when the fullness of the Gentiles comes in, that's what we read in Romans, implying a set number. Numbers are going to be a big part of the Bible study tonight. The Lord is into numbers. And there's a certain number of people that will make up the church. The Lord knows what it is. And when that person finally accepts the Lord, 
then we're out of here. And I always like to say at this point, if you're that person, get your act together. I want to go home. Just do it already. Stop fighting. And realize, um, you know, just on a personal level, um, you either gather or scatter as people watch you. You're either going to be making people inquisitive. What makes you tick? And why are you the way you are? How you handle things? Where you hang? Who you hang with? Where are your priorities? Um, we're being watched. So as the church, we're to be the, the salt and the light. We're the witness right now. Israel was the witness, but they've been temporarily put aside. So it says, until the fullness of the Gentiles comes in, the next verse is, and so all Israel will be saved. Sunday's message was basically that the clock stopped ticking after the 69 weeks. And it hasn't started yet. God owes Israel seven years. So when the rapture happens, all of a sudden I see tick, 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 tick. Seven more years. And that's, what's, that's exactly what's going to happen. All right. Write the things you've seen. Section 1, chapter 1 of the book of Revelation. The things that are present tense, the church age. We're still here. So we're living in chapters 2 and 3. But then he says... Then the things which must take place after this. And the Greek word there is metatonta. And if you look, just turn over to chapter 4. Again, a good way to learn, especially if it's your first time through the study of the book of Revelation, is what J. Vernon McGee always said about learning. Repetition, 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 repetition. That's how you learn. And so I will be... um, pointing to Revelation 119, because it is the key to the book. What would you see, John? He wrote it down, what the Lord looked like. Write to things that are, seven letters to seven churches. But then write to things that are going to happen after the church age, Greek word metatonta. And now we have in um, verse 1 of chapter 4, the same Greek word metatonta. After these things I looked. After what things? Well, chapter 2 and 3, the church age. Now we've just entered into the things that will happen after what? After the church age, now God has to fulfill seven years that he promised to Israel. And that's when I believe that clock will begin to tick again. Um, Numbers in the Bible are so significant. And... um, Bullinger's Numbers in the Scriptures. That's um, just a must-read because he goes into extreme detail on all the numbers and the meanings of them. In the book of Revelation, um, the, the basic numbers that have most attention drawn to them are 4, 6, 7, 10, and 12. And I'm not going to go through 4 and 6 and 10 and 12, but I want to walk you through the sevens. Seven is a number of completion. And um, if we're in chapter 1 of Revelation, I'm just going to walk us through the number of times seven comes up uh, in the book of Revelations. First of all, uh, verse 4 John to the seven churches which are in Asia. That's the first place it appears. Chapter and 20, 
The mystery of the seven stars, which you saw on my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands. Here is another good example where John sees them, but now we have the explanation of the symbolism of what they mean. We, we read about them up in verses, uh, verse 12. I turn, I saw seven golden lampstands. Thank you very much. All right, now the interpretation. The mystery of the seven stars, which you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are the angels, actually messengers that can be translated, written to the pastor of that church, of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands, which you saw, are the seven churches themselves. So we have the explanation, but there in chapter 1, we have seven repeated three times. Turn to chapter 4. Verse 5, and from the throne proceeded lightnings and thunders and voices, and there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, and the seven spirits of God um, that are there, and we'll talk about what those seven spirits are when we get to chapter 4. Um, let's turn to chapter 5. Let's see, chapter 5, verse 6. Um, verse 1, you're right. And in the right hand of him who sat on the throne was a scroll written inside and on the back sealed with seven seals. So the Lord is going to open those seals. We read in verse 6. I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne and the four living creatures, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain, having seven horns, seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into the earth. That causes me to ask more questions than it gives me answers, what I just read right there. Um, Let's go over to chapter 8, verse 2. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. And then, uh, let's go to chapter 15, verse 1. Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels having the seven last plagues, for in them the wrath of God is completed. Verse 6. And out of the temple came the seven angels, having the seven plagues, clothed in pure and bright linen, and having their chests girded with golden bands. Chapter 10, verse uh, 3 and 4, we find uh, an angel, verse 2, a little book open, and he set one foot on the sea and the left foot on the land, and he cried with a loud voice, and when the lion roared, he cried out, seven thunders uttered their voices. Now, this is interesting. Now, when the seven thunders uttered their voices, I was about to write it down, but I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, seal up the things which the seven thunders uttered and do not write them. To me, that is the ultimate tease. I don't know of a more ultimate tease. Why tell us in the first place that he said, if you don't want us to know? So... Here he's told to write the things, and he's just about, okay, and got those thunders, what they said. And, no, don't write them. And um, very, you know, we'll, when we get to that, we'll, we'll deal with that. 
Uh, chapter 11, verse 13. In the same hour, there was a great earthquake, and a tenth of the city fell. And in the earthquake, 7,000 men were killed, and the rest were afraid and gave glory to God. Chapter 12, verse 3. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great fiery red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems on his head. Chapter 13, verse 1. Then I stood on the sand of the sea and I saw a beast rising out of the sea having seven heads and ten horns. And on his horns ten crowns and on his heads were blasphemous names. Chapter 15, we already went over to that one. So let's go on to um, uh, chapter 17, verse 9. Here is the mind which has wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits. There are two cities in the world that are known as the city of seven hills. One is Rome, and the other one is Jerusalem. And we'll tackle that when we get to that. And so I've, I've gone through these because seven, obviously, to me, as I think about it, and we're in the last book of the Bible, it, it is really about completion. And we find that now you have the book of Revelation, seven being the, the dominant number, and we have the word of God sort of as being, being complete. Number of completion. Seven days in a week, you start over this Monday. Seven notes on a scale, do re mi fa so la ti, and then you start over again with do. And so it is. Color spectrums, there's many things we could talk about with seven. All right. Also, as an introduction to the book of Revelation, it's about judgment. Uh, there's uh, four categories of judgment in the book of Revelation. First of all, to the church. Now, we'll see this in chapters two and three. Only two of the churches have nothing bad said about them. Smyrna the suffering church, and Philadelphia, the missionary church. They were little in strength, they loved the Lord, and they were, they were promised to be kept from the hour of great trial that's going to come upon the whole world. They're going to be taken out at the rapture. But the other five, the Lord actually says to the church of Ephesus, either you guys get back to your first love or else. I will remove your candlestick. Whoa, those are heavy words. And so the judgment begins with the church. That's First Peter 4, verse 17. For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. What's the second division to the book of Revelation? The church age. And what is one of the things that the Lord is going to do? Refine me. Refine you. We call it the sanctification process. When you're justified, when you get saved, you're... You're clean. You have that white garment. And you're pure as, as snow before the Lord. But we in our flesh are being changed daily, like it says, from glory to glory. How? Through fiery trials. Everybody here just loves fiery trials, right? My best friend, Pat, he just emailed me today and he said he ran into a, a gal in Cameroon from Shiloh. And uh, they started talking. She's from Illinois, and she says, I'm going to be up at the pastor's conference at the end of the month. And, of course, it's blowing Pat's mind. And uh, this is going back 42 years, so they're both Shiloh people like, like we are. And uh, she, he asked her to send 
uh, you know, just a, a brochure of the conference and who the speakers was. And uh, it sort of blew Pat's mind because John Higgins um, is the guy that Chuck set up over the house ministries. And so John's going to be with us during the conference. But during this period of time we're in right now, uh, trials are necessary, even when we don't want them. I, I have to think of Paul, who had the gift of healing, and yet, you know, he had this thorn in the flesh that he said, Lord, get rid of it. It was a messenger of Satan. Well, what does that mean? Don't know. All I know is Paul wanted it out, and he prayed three times, Lord, would you take this thing away? And the Lord wasn't answering him, but the third time he did answer him. He says, no, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. You're made better through your weaknesses. And it's in my strength, not your strength, that this is going to be accomplished. So I'm going to allow that thorn in the flesh to stay there, just to keep you humble. And uh, it's because of the abundance of, of the revelations that you've seen. Remember, Paul, you got to go to heaven. You got to see it. You could be out on a book selling tour right now making big bucks. And you get a big head. So I'm going to keep you humble. I'll give you a little thorn in the flesh. Messenger of Satan. Going to bug you all the time. Oh, praise the Lord. Well, you know, that's exactly what he said. He said, praise the Lord. He says, as long as you're talking to me, Lord. That's all I care about. The Lord talked to me. He says, he's not going to take my trial away. Praise the Lord. I don't know if I can say that or not. <laughs> and be sincere about it. So the first judgment is a judgment of the church itself. The second category of judgments in the book of Revelation are the seal judgment, the trumpet judgment, and the bowl judgment. Three different categories. Um, The church is taken to heaven. We see the church in heaven in Revelation 4 and 5. Um, Jesus then takes the sealed scroll book and enters, and we have in uh, chapter 6, verse 1, the first seal being opened. And from chapter 6 through 18, we have this seven-year period of time divided into um, in half. And it's during this time that we have the seal judgments. And then we have it escalating as we go further and further. The trumpet judgments, I like to call the third judgments because a third of the fresh water will be destroyed, a third of the ocean will be destroyed, and I like to, like to refer to those as the trumpet. The bowl judgments is everything being poured out, and it ends up with the battle of Armageddon, and the final judgment pretty much plummets and destroys planet Earth as we know it, as the Lord allows hailstones weighing anywhere from 75 to 125 pounds to come and fall upon planet Earth. That will put a dinghy in your hood of your car. 75 pounders, 125 pounders. And the Earth is pretty much destroyed. And that's, that's how the last bull judgment ends. Now, the third judgment is the millennial judgment of Christ, Jesus returns to earth as king of kings. The the, uh, kingdom age is established. That is Matthew chapter 25. It says, immediately after the days of the tribulation, it says the Lord will gather the nations together and he will separate the sheep from the goats. 
and those who didn't take the mark of the beast during the tribulation and actually helped the Jews will enter in as saved people into the millennium for the next thousand years. Those who did take the mark of the beast and worship the beast are actually warned by angels from heaven. Whatever you do, don't take the mark of the beast. But they do anyway. They are cast into hell for the next thousand years only to be resurrected. And that's when we have, we have that judgment where the Lord separates. And then the final judgment, after the thousand years, all those who died in their sins will be resurrected and judged by their works. So there are four categories of judgment, but nine separate judgments. We have the church in Revelation 2 and 3. We have the rebellion of nations in chapters 4 through 16. Earth, Earth's religious and economic system will be judged. That's chapters 17 and 18. We have the beast and the false prophet being judged. We have Satan being chained for a thousand years. We have the spared nations in chapter 20, verses 4 through 6. Those who rebel during the thousand years of peace. Chapter 20, the lake of fire. That's where the um, beast and the false prophet will be immediately cast into after the battle of Armageddon. And then the great white throne judgment where death and hell and those who died at sea all will be resurrected and they will have their uh, judgments. That's covered in the book of Revelation. And finally, the different topics that we'll talk about in the book of Revelation. Number one is the rapture and the importance of the rapture. Number two, uh, the temple in Israel. Number three, Daniel's 70th week prophecy, which we're dovetailing on, so we already have a little flavor of that. Um, Another topic will be uh, from Ezekiel 36 to 40, the Russian Islamic invasion of Israel. (laughs) Uh, Could be any day now, especially after Putin's really ticked off uh, about this whole thing. Um, We'll talk about the new world order that will be established. We'll talk about a global monetary system in number 666. We will take the subject of the Battle of Armageddon and then a separate study on what the millennium is and the kingdom age. My prayer is that we get into this tonight. You take one thing home with you as an introduction. You learn the key, the key to the book of Revelation. It's literal. It's blessed. Read this book, he says, because it's special. And make sure you don't add to or take away anything from it. It Sounds like the Lord meant it to be literal for us. And then if you can just go home with an introduction tonight that, you know, here's the key. Revelation 1, verse 19. John, I want you to write the things you've seen. Chapter 1. I want you to write the things that are. Present tense. Church age. We're still here. And then write the things metatonta after these things. After what things? After the church age. God owes Israel seven years. 69 have been fulfilled. The clock stopped. The church age was plugged in. The Lord gathered a bride to himself together. And then we have the remainder of the book. And the only other thing that that he just touches on just a little bit is the New Jerusalem in chapter 21 and 22. 
and very little bit about eternity. So with that, we'll take a test before you walk out tonight to make sure you got the key verse. If you pass the test, you get to go home. If you don't, you got to go back and be a part of Kids Club for at least half an hour. Let's stand and we'll close. Lord, thank you as we we're switching gears. Lord, your timing always amazes me. As we're finishing Ezekiel, going into Daniel, and with current events and everything that's taking place, we see your hand in it, Lord, and we acknowledge that this is your church, and we acknowledge that you're the one who's building your church. And your timing always amazes me, and we're always humbled. So we're, we're grateful, Lord, that knowing that we're in the minority, that you've allowed us to understand a book that most of Christianity has no clue of what it is. They explain it away in different ways. We really want to be those wise virgins with our lamps trimmed and watching and just waiting for your return. So, Lord, we acknowledge you tonight as we take on this endeavor of going through the book of Revelation. Please bless it and give us an understanding, especially for those that are, are, are dealing with it for the first time. We love you, Lord. We give you the rest of this evening. In Jesus' name, amen.